Please enjoy this terrific interview with Seth Partnow of The Athletic and Statsbomb as we discuss the drafting of Victor Wembanyama and his prospects for being a fantastic, possibly fantastic, maybe mediocre, maybe just playing good NBA player. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. This is Eric Bradlow, Professor of Marketing and Statistics, and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor of Statistics, Adi Weiner, Professor of Statistics, Shane Jensen. Some combination of the three of us and Cade Massey are here every week here on Sirius XM and on Wharton Moneyball, the podcast edition. So how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Very good. Good, good. Well, I'm very excited that uh, we have our show today. We're joined by a longtime guest of the show, Seth Partnow. Seth is the Director of North American Sports at StatsBomb. He also writes at The Athletic. And we've talked about his book many times, uh, The Mid-Range Theory. Prior to that, he was the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. Seth, uh, welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Uh, thanks for having me again. It's always fun to be here. Well, Adi, uh, Shane, and myself, we're definitely looking forward to talking to you. Obviously, I think the big deal since we last spoke to you is, of course, Victor Wembanyama. So how do you project him? My concern, let's say to me, am I wrong to say maybe the worst he'll be? is Ralph Sampson, and the best he'll be is some combination of, I don't even know, I mean, Kevin Durant, maybe some combination of Rudy Gobert, some combination of, I don't know, name another, a bunch of offensive and defensive players. How do you see Wembenyama projecting in the NBA, and and what are your thoughts about how to even do it? Uh, I mean, it's obviously a great question to start. I will say that uh... Um, I'm very, I get very nervous around the, he will be at least dot, 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 because there's, I, I, I don't know how to, you, you'd even model the percentage, but let's call it 10%. There's a 10% stuff happens. Uh, stuff is not the word I usually use there uh, for, for any draft prospect. There's no such thing as can't miss. He could get hurt. He could not be that good. He could decide he doesn't like basketball. He, all these different things can happen. We've seen it time and time again, stuff happens. So um, you know, I, so, so Ralph and Ralph Sampson had a decent NBA career, but then got hurt. Right. Um, so that's certainly a low end, uh, outcome for him. Um, the high end, you know, you can, you can go crazy with flights of fancy, uh, Richard Jefferson from ESPN got, um, got in some hot water earlier this year when he was opining that, uh, Wimbanyama is a better prospect than LeBron James was as a prospect. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it's a colorable argument. If if we're talking about the the short list of best prospects of my basketball life, lifetime, it's probably Shaq, LeBron, Tim Duncan, Wembenyama, and maybe pick uh, pick one or two others. It, it, like that's the that's the the the, uh, uh, the the company we're talking about now. Uh, course lebron hit like the 90th 95th percentile outcome of him himself as a prospect so saying that he's comparable as a prospect doesn't any way put him on the the same pathway as well he's going to be the nba's all-time leading scorer someday um all of which is me filibustering but to say i don't know uh like modeling him is you know first of all how many seven five guys are there there's not a ton of translation from the French league. There's not a ton of translation from kind of mid tier of the French league to, to the NBA. Um, and it's a pretty unique skill set. So 
I, I, well, let me ask I you wouldn't a, even know how to go about it. <laughs> well, let me ask you a very specific question. So, you know, I grew up as a kid or a kid as a young man in uh, New York City. Well, I grew up in New York uh, watching Patrick Ewing, getting frustrated that, you know, we had a seven-foot center who was basically at the end of his career, maybe the back half of his career, a jump shooter. And I don't want a seven-foot jump shooter. I don't want a seven-foot-five Wembenyama. I mean, and right now, if I read it right, he weighs 220. I don't want to say, you know, how much the three of us as hosts on this show weigh, but some of us here are close enough to 220 and none of us are here are seven foot five. So my comment is, if that's what he is until he can bulk up, like, do you ever want a seven foot five jump shooter? Uh, I mean, it depends on the jump shot to some degree. Um, And I think he's probably, uh, it's not just the fact that he's a, a shooter. Uh, it is, he can also put the ball on the floor. He can pass, he can make plays facing the basket. So even if it comes in a seven, five body, it is a skill set of a, of a traditionally of a, of a smaller player. Um, in terms of wanting him to bulk up, I think that's part of where the stuff happens, comes in, uh, you know, guys that large, the kinetic chain is long and things and minor things that go wrong, uh, can lead to big problems. Now, an interesting aspect of him is that his team has really started doing a lot of the sort of um, uh, prophylactic kind of stretching and ankle flexibility and, and things like that uh, before he even has injuries to kind of help uh, nurse what is a vulnerable body through the rigors of a professional basketball career. It, are you going to want him to get stronger? Yes. Are you going to want him to get up to like 250, 260? That's that's a you know it's that's a, lot a long of, way. That's a lot of that's a lot of force. You know that's a on on you know it's it's uh, like his he's he's very he's himself very worried about his feet because that's you know you look at where a lot of these the the the, the really all players break down uh, whether it's Yao Ming whether uh, Ralph Sampson I believe uh, had foot issues and that's right. Greg know, Oden you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joel Embiid has foot issues. You know, these these big men have that they do. And so, the more weight you're you're having land on that, the the problem. Now, from his game, I mean, it's you. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that, like Durant on the offensive end and Gobert on the defensive end, because that's a little bit what sort of the 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 premise is. Um, maybe he's a more mobile player than Rudy Gobert is, but he's not. Uh, Gobert is is very big and strong, so maybe do it slightly differently, but uh, a player who can space the floor on offense and protect the rim at an elite level on defense, you do that well, you're easily an all-star and maybe more than that, depending on how sort of the ancillary skills Pop. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I I think Seth and we're talking to Seth Part now. Seth is director of North American Sports at Statsbomb. Um, one of the things Seth that you just brought up is you know given the projections for him, you know it would almost be like if all he ends up as being an all star. I think most people say, "Wow, that's it." I mean, that's not the greatest prospect since LeBron James that he's an all star. And I think you're pointing out is you know I'll use the statistical term predicting the far right tail in the distribution is really damn hard. You mentioned a lot of reasons. We don't have a lot of seven foot five players. We don't have a lot of people coming from the French league. We don't have a lot of people with his skill set and size. S happens. There's all kinds of things that make it a hard prediction problem. We're not trying to predict, is he going to be a good player? I think if he stays healthy, he's going to be a very good NBA player. 
but is he going to be a great NBA player, an all-time great NBA player? Very different prediction task. Would you agree? I I, th- I would almost go so far as to say it's an impossible pred- uh, uh, prediction task, just because if you look at the players who have been like that that you know transcendent talent in the NBA, how many of them fit into any pre-existing mold? It's Certainly like they've. Uh, Michael Jordan, no. I just finished yeah. came from watching the air. He was the third pick in the draft, and people expected him to be very good, but not the all-time greatest. Yeah, yeah no, and it's and so all of these players who are, you know, you look at the like some of the top players in the NBA today, they have created on it. Whether it's Steph Curry, whether it's Nikola Jokic, whether it's LeBron. I mean, maybe the closest we've come to someone following was Kobe Bryant, like almost um intentionally mimicking. Michael Jordan down to some mannerisms as well. But other than that, like these are these, these, these top whatever percent of players are largely sui generis. And so how do you model that? <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of tough. like unique doesn't always mean good, but for that level of greatness, it does have to be unique. And I don't, I don't know how you, how you go about like uh, that modeling task without well, hopelessly overfitting your data yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is, is that no forecast would predict the upside that people are talking about in the press. Yeah, A good forecaster cannot make that as a credible estimate, a median or mean of their prediction equation. It's got to regress fairly substantially down, down to the mean, which doesn't mean he's not the first pick in the draft. It just means that what we're talking about is on is with probably substantial probability, of which we don't really know how to properly evaluate that total, uh, not going to be a pan out. He's going to most likely be a very good NBA player, less likely, but still possible. A great NBA player and low probability, a one of the greatest simple. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. But a well, much higher probability. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say a much higher probability than, than the, I would even say the median first overall pick. I think that's who ah, we're talking good. about. When yeah. we're talking about like yeah. the like the transcendence as a prospect, yeah, fine. He's got a he's got a. I'm just going to make a number up here. He's got a five percent chance of being sort of an inner circle Hall of Famer, like a top twenty, top fifteen all time player. Uh, I th- I would think that the I'm just I'm I'm spitballing about distributions, but no, yeah, I'm, but taking that's, the, I'm taking the under on that one. Well, but oh God, <laughs> but, but I would say that the the average you know first overall pick is a no no i like what you said there i think he's got yeah. better than the median number one overall pick yeah is that fair to say let me so yeah. let me move off a little bit so we only have about three or four minutes left with you seth let me ask you what you thought about some other big news that happened which was the bradley beal and chris paul trade what did you think about that does you know how much does does golden state get any better does phoenix get any better how do you see each of those teams now um I think that there's uh, – I'll start with Golden State. I think that was a, a sensible trade insofar as uh, the last playoffs were not kind, not just to Jordan Poole, but to Jordan Poole's player archetype. And for a team that's already going to be pretty expensive and up against sort of the uh, mechanical elements of the new CBA, which which hurt high-spending teams, um, moving off of that money and that future money and getting a player who – might be more useful for them in the short term in terms of, hey, can we have good offense when Steph Curry is off the floor? That's the, the, the answer largely has been a no for the bulk of Curry's like 
like prime career with the Warriors. Um, it, it is a Chris Paul kind of floor general thing still enough to get you to at least tread water in those minutes. Um, so that's one side. I from I hated uh, the acquisition of of Bradley Beal for Phoenix. Um, I think it. Um, it's a it's it's a it's almost a fantasy GM trade in that it's like oh well we 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 got these thirty points a game so we just drop them in and add them. As there's only to, one basketball, as I would say, Seth. Yeah, and I actually I actually did some research on this uh, a couple of weeks ago of when the trade happened and for like when you throw these high usage combinations together, where it's Kevin Durant, Brad Beal, and Devin Booker, these very high usage trios together. On average, each of the players loses about two and a half points of usage. Now, that might be distributed some other way, but for a player whose primary value is being able to soak a lot of possessions at decent efficiency, and now you're using him for fewer possessions, or he's taking away possessions from guys who are better than him. Like, where is the... the, the, the it's not that he's a bad player who won't be good for them. It's that he is a worse player for them than he would be for a team that needed his skill set more. And they used literally every mechanism of team building they have available to themselves to acquire him. So they have three really good players, another guy in DeAndre Ayton, who they very clearly don't want around anymore and are not getting good trade offers because they've made it clear they don't want him around anymore. And you have to build a team uh, where if you're trying to win a championship, we've seen the playoffs be somewhat uh, weak link focused. You've got like one to two weak links on the floor at all time and three high usage stars who all tend to get injured. How are you supposed to get to the playoffs healthy and then navigate through the two month marathon that we just saw as the playoffs? Uh, and I will, I yield the rest of my time as I gavel myself out. <laughs> well, I, I, we want to thank you, Seth, for joining us here on Wharton Moneyball today. I like your point that every possession he has, you, you didn't say it this way, but I'll say it. You basically said this, every possession he has is one less Durant and Booker have the ball. And we could debate whether that's a good thing for the Phoenix Suns. Um, but thank you again. Uh, this We've been joined by Seth Partnow. Seth's director of North American Sports at StatsBomb. He writes for The Athletic. He also, you should check out his book, The Mid-Range Theory. So Seth, thank you again for for joining us here on Wharton Moneyball. Thanks a lot, guys. So guys, this has been Wharton Moneyball. I'd like to thank our producer, Matt Datz, and as always, our associate producer and sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. On behalf of myself, Eric Bradlow, my colleague, Professor Adi Weiner and Shane Jensen, we'd like to, we hope you enjoyed our show. Uh, between now and next week, enjoy your sports, enjoy your statistics. We will see you next week here on Wharton Moneyball. Moneyball.